I'm saying that Stonewall Jackson was trash himself. Him, Lee, and all the rest of them ribs. You too. You're a low-down line Yankee. Prove it. Howdy, listening people. I was going to say howdy too, but yeah. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Bartek's like, damn it. I hate it when Ryan randomly, not with a pattern, goes off the book of how to do the introduction. I was like 70%, like, nah, I won't do it. 30%, like, maybe I should. (laughs) Howdy, Bartek. How are you doing? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. We're back to our first episode of Pictures Power. I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing very well. If we did ever end Pictures Power, would you want to do it with like a satirical western again? Because that's uh, how we started. Maybe. If Paul Giamatti was in a satirical western, would that be the perfect film to end all of this on? I guess it would be, yeah. Or should we do A Million Ways to Die in the West a, and then a just kill ourselves? A satirical western with Paul Giamatti and Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I would watch that. If Paul Giamatti was in a Western, whether satirical or not, what would he play? What type of person would he play in that? I I have two options, and those uh, I'll tell you them after you have a bit of a thought yourself. What do you think? My immediate gun, I don't know how sure I am of this, but like similar to what Steve Buscemi was doing in Desperado. It's like the friend of the Oh, the hero. friend of the guy who like hands them yeah. the kind of that, mission yeah. statement of the movie. I guess it's also sort of similar to yeah, what he did in uh, Big Mama's House where he was like the friend of the main character. I'm going to say he would play a bank teller. Mm. Like with the old fashioned like puffy sleeves with like the band around the arm and the he, little he would not be he, he would not be anything like his character from Shoot 'Em Up. <laughs> no, of course not. And I would say he could also play the town dentist. Hmm. He would be either the dentist type of Bob Hope in Paleface or the dentist type of Christopher Waltz <laughs> in Django Unchained. Hmm. Those are the two types of options. That he- you know what the difference is? If he plays one version, if he's the Bob Hope version, it's clean-shaven Paul. And if he, if he plays the Christoph Waltz type dentist in a Western, it's bearded Paul. <laughs> That's the difference. And does he have an accent on either one? Doesn't he always do a voice in some way? <laughs> he does it for he does it. But to get real, to get serious, we are Spitting Polish Presents, likingly, because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be young Polish gentlemen. And young for a few more years. Young, no, young forever. Young forever. If we if we die now, we're young forever. But what I was going to say next is Pictures Powwow is the podcast in which we talk about movies that come recommended. And it's been a while now since we've been living in the Pictures Powwow land. We started out all of those years ago with a Western, a comedy Western that Bartek pitched our way, which was Cannibal the Musical. Mm-hmm. And now here we are, back to a Western, but of a serious nature that I recommended the 1953 film Shane, starring Alan Ladd and a myriad of other people. And over the years on this podcast, we have done Westerns, but we have never done a just straight-laced, traditional, old-school, golden age Hollywood Western. We've done spoofs, we've done satires, we've done foreign films, we've done just different takes on them, Mm. subversions, deconstructionists, but we've never done just here is what you would imagine is the cowboy type. 
And uh, we go through a cycle of recommendations. Bartek recommends one week, I recommend the next, and then you, the listening people out there, recommend movies. And since it's me now, that means it's your turn it's, later. It's the final Ryan recommendation of 2023. Oh, whew. Yeah, I, I was worried that you were going to say it's a final recommendation. No, you're not, of the I'm show. not firing you yet, Ryan. I am fired. Uh, I am very much fired and cancelled. I would say I'm cancelled. I wouldn't too. Ca- I wouldn't cancel you. Okay, I'm not. Can- but Artex cancelled. Uh, I'd cancel myself. I would cancel. I know what too. I've done. I know what he's done to listen to the podcast, <laughs> but. Uh, tell us a bit, Bartek, about Shane. For those out there who are not familiar with the film, but maybe need a bit of a, a bit of a tagline or a bit of a summary to entice them before we get into our full discussions with spoilers, how would you present this to someone? So Shane is an iconic nineteen fifty three Western film. Um, it's, it's a two hour film, but it's very slow paced and it's mostly about a sort of mysterious stranger who happens upon a homestead community that is being terrorized by a sort of old guard that is running the place and making the younger people's lives, uh, younger people meaning like families with children, uh, much more difficult um, in a in a way to try and drive them out of the land, and this stranger befriends one of the families and stays with them and forms a rapport with them, um, while also slowly entangling himself with the conflict that they're dealing with. That is the great way to describe it. It is also a film very much about how. The West is changing from the rough-and-tumble ways in which the gunslinger, the gunfight, or the people who had to fight their way to get what they need is beginning to fade. And now it is about creating communities and civilization out in the barren lands. And that is Shane in a bit of a nutshell. Do watch it for yourself. And Bartek said it, this is an iconic film. Even if you have not seen it before, once you give it a view, even if you read a little bit of the details or some of the lines of dialogue, this is an influential film. This is one that has been riffed on. It yeah, has been I... copied. It has been homaged. Most recently, one of the great examples of this was the uh, Wolverine film, Logan. Logan is just basically Shane. Uh, and everyone loves Logan as a movie, so uh, go watch Shane for yourself. Yeah, I had not seen this film before, um, but there were things in this that I recognised. And when I was reading up about it afterwards, there are lists compiled online of people of things that have referenced this film. I don't, I didn't read that list, but I, I just want to say now was in the bar when he is going up against one of the Riker family. It was is there reference is that is one of the things in that exchange taxi driver references this because there's a are you talking to me because I'm I'm the only one here because that's oh, they have a I back and forth yeah, like that I did I didn't read that example I didn't look it through it too I don't know but, but I that that but that it could left, very well be that yeah. leapt out at me <laughs> but that was a case of someone's gen, it's a genuine back and forth not just a, a you know Robert De Niro yeah. in a mirror but. Shane, everyone, we're going to get into the full spoilers and details now, and so you better shoo. Uh, I have seen this movie once before in the past. It was one of those cases of, in my youth, I have grown up on 
Westerns, as has been demonstrated in previous discussions on this podcast, but rarely are they the ones that are this era, the, the 50s or 40s era Westerns from Hollywood. I would, I would get the 60s ones, maybe the 70s ones, where spaghetti Westerns have existed, and whether I was watching spaghetti Westerns them, themselves or the Hollywood industry having to respond to spaghetti westerns and do their own things, or them responding to Japanese cinema as well, with like The Magnificent Seven, for example, is one that I've seen before. But I went out of my way to try and watch some more of these, and I really was enamored by them, especially, uh, this doesn't apply to Shane, but there are movies from this time in which you get to see Jimmy Stewart, beloved Jimmy Stewart, nice guy Jimmy Stewart, you know, it's a wonderful life, Jimmy Stewart and, and uh, Harvey, Harvey yeah. and he's a bad guy in Westerns. Like, there's an iconic uh, poster from a Western that goes against the norm, which is on the poster is Jimmy Stewart, the villain, punching out the hero. Mm. Usually it was always <laughs> the other way around because as was the case with this time and even now, there's these strict rules and guidelines and just beliefs of how to present stars and present heroes and to present your actors and actresses and 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 so on and so on but jimmy stewart was just such a caliber of performer that you can allow him to be the one punching the hero on the poster and that's just wild and jimmy stewart for instance would play drunks and just layabouts and just low lifes in these movies and and that's so far away from what you would consider but i wanted to get a taste of that and a taste of other things and shane was always this elusive one because I knew that it was influential, but I didn't know anything really about it. I knew the name of the movie, I knew some vague imagery of it, but nothing concrete. And so when I eventually got around to watching it, I was profoundly moved by the movie. I was actually shocked because there are other westerns that I very much enjoy, like The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is a great movie, but that's like a fun movie. And this one is deeply not fun. This is very melancholic, and every time I've engaged with some Westerns since, whether it's in the medium of film or television, or especially video games with stuff like Red Dead Redemption, which mm. I don't know if we'll talk about that, that that much, but whenever they get this twinge of just the bygone era that things are changing, I can't help but keep coming back to this movie. I'm like, this movie just just hit that in such a specific way without really having to vocalize it all that much, yet you feel it. You feel it throughout the whole entire thing that that the the way that it used to be, these glory days are far, far, far behind, but the film doesn't examine it too deeply with words. It's just just the mood of it. So I've enjoyed this and I wanted to give it a revisit on the pod and see how it held up and what my opinions of it would be, as well as to finally go over, I guess, a John Wayne-era cowboy movie. John Wayne's not in this movie, just to clarify. Yeah. I say John Wayne-era last episode and this episode, just to give you the context of like what this time period is, because everyone associates the cowboy with He's the, the iconic actor. It's like saying, you know, a Humphrey Bogart film noir. Yeah, exactly. So what did uh, you expect going into Shane? What did you get coming out and how do you feel about it? I, yeah, again, I walked in, I knew that it was, you know, a well-known Western from the time, but I didn't really know anything about it, like anything that people would reference these days. 
Um, I just came in with the assumptions of like, okay, there's going to be a righteous hero. It's going to have a bunch of outlaws. It's going to be in the desert. And only some of those things ended up being the case. This one isn't set in the desert. It's set in, you know, a homesteady big field. Yeah, farmland. Farmland. Um, Where they've tamed the terrain to be that way. Yeah. And the... There aren't really outlaw characters. It's it's more so people from the past who weren't outlaws, you know, in a way becoming them. And there is no sheriff around, so there's no one to keep them it's in check. It's lawless land, but that doesn't mean the people in charge, that the, 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 the antagonistic force are just bandits. Yeah. And for, for quite a while in the film, you don't really fully get their motivation. But then you have an, a really good scene partway through the film where- Amazing scene. Where everything is laid out and it, it makes complete sense. And that kind of- it really grounds the film. It makes it feel very real. I really enjoyed that of it. And yeah, it's, it is a very melancholic film, um, but it also just has, I think, like 40, 50% of this film is lighthearted scenes of, you know, people just getting along, like dancing, mm-hmm. uh, having meetings, celebrating wedding anniversaries on the 4th of July, and uh, iconically, like the hero and the child bonding scenes. There's a... And I feel like we've used this term a lot on the podcast, but it's always good to use when it's applicable, which is as a slice of life, this isn't so hamstrung by narrative constraints. And there's this thing that you often hear if you ever attend writing or film classes, which is every story is a Western. There's that rule, or there's only seven stories. Mm. And with that in mind, yes, you hit a lot of familiar beats that we are aware of, but Shane, the film, is really not like it it is not restrained by the trappings of film script stuff when it comes to these things you get them but there's just this like you said like 40 50% of the movie is just people hanging out just people enjoying themselves i think of once upon a time in hollywood for instance and how tarantino wanted to make a hangout film in which it's just yeah you have this overarching plot and the characters have to deal with a antagonistic force and overcome things and and become better or come out the other side changed but you just have moments of them living their lives and going through the motions and good times bad times and i really got that out of shane it's not a, it's not the classic oh there's the bad guy that's running the town and we have to deal with his men and get the shootout in the center it doesn't go exactly I remember, that way i remember with the opening scene because you open up at the the the, how, the home of the guys that shane will live with um and i remember thinking like okay he's either gonna leave this place forever or this is gonna be like the main location of the film yeah and it was very much the latter yeah but they still also went around to other places other oh yeah yeah places but uh, did you did you like this movie? How did you fare with this? I did, I did. And you bringing up the whole hangout film or like the kind of chill out thing, because this was such a slow paced film that had, you know, so many moments of levity, I was just kind of sitting back and enjoying it for the most part. It wasn't really one that it, like, you know, got my blood pumping or like when it did become violent, like, yeah, great. But yeah, just sitting back and enjoying the film was basically my experience with it. What were some moments or something early on that uh, drew you into this or made you perhaps sit up in your seat a little bit? Because there were some for me that I, I was just taken by, but I wanted to know from you. 
I would say one of the first major ones was obviously Shane and the father of the family that he meets uh, have a bad first interaction where one of them is basically pointing a gun at the other and saying, get out of here. Um, And then when he he has an interaction with one of the villains and then he apologizes to Shane and there's just very quick forgiveness Mm. that really set the mood of the film where, you know, people can be hot headed, um, but they are people on the inside. They can come to an understanding and very quickly after that apology, like they were having sincere rapport with each other and it was very heartwarming. And the, and the kid himself, um, Obviously, he, he's he's very much playing up the child aspect. He mm. is just he's got that high voice of curiosity. He's asking questions about everything. He's being naughty. He's being naughty. Um, I could imagine you know a, a more gruff protagonist getting impatient with him, but just seeing the patience out of our main character for this kid, it also yeah elevated. Uh, his characterization for me is like, okay, this is a guy who I want to see. I want to see how this patient sort of character will interact with both the good people and the bad people, because there's a good contrasting point here with this child. One of the things that I really, really was just loving is there was visual storytelling that wasn't overt. For instance, Shane enters this film and it's immediately apparent to everyone that views him that he is not what he presents himself as. He's just a, oh, I'm just here to settle down and mind my own business. I'm just a person like you guys. And Alan Ladd's performance plays it genuinely like that. There's no deception in that performance, but the outfit he wears and the horse he has and all of the stuff he's He's decked out in stuff that goes against the thing he is presenting as. And you can tell by just the contrast with the family and the other homesteaders and even the the Rikers, uh, the villains. And there is no insert shots or no obvious tells to us, the viewer, to keep an eye out for that stuff. It's just subconscious. You're just looking at the frame. Just look at the frame like that scene you're mentioning about the gun being pointed at him and then they're having a conversation how he says, oh, it's actually my son's gun and and it's empty. And you just look at that image and you see what Shane is dressed like and he's not one of them. He's not Mm. anything like them. He's clearly someone who's lived a a, a very... uh, uh, I guess, rich life in comparison, and now he's here. What's that all about? And they, they really don't hammer it in too too, uh, too heavily that he must have been like the, the the a gunfighter, a gunslinger, someone who's killed people for money and done these things, and now he's going to try and turn a new leaf. That's just underneath all of this. And there are times where it rears its head up, but they never just sit in that and just go, this is what it's about. This is Shane's whole thing. And I just really was impressed with just the restraint. And that's the thing that I would use as the word for Shane. It's a very restrained movie. Mm. Yeah, you get a lot of that at the beginning where obviously he's got his, you know, trigger finger reaction to hearing the gun getting cocked. Um, and there is just his general appearance. But I was I kept thinking of, and this film came like a decade or so later, but um the Bruce Lee film, The Big Boss. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't seen that one. No. no. So the beginning of that film, I think that's his first leading role. He is this 
he he's moved to a town that has like his cousins in it or something like that, and he wears this some sort of pendant around him, which is a, a symbol of him not being violent. Like mm. every time he touches it, this like very cute like music plays and it reminds him like I will not be violent. And for the most part in that film, or well for the first like half an hour, he does no fighting at all. You know, iconic Bruce Lee, yeah, exactly. no fighting at all. You see other people fight and he just watches. And you really get the sense of, like, if you don't know Bruce Lee, it's like, oh, okay, this guy, why is he our main character in, in this martial arts film? Um, and then, you, obviously, you get to the point where, like, oh, the pendant breaks or something, and now he's the martial arts hero of the film. Um, and I was kind of getting that vibe with this film where Shane, you know, he goes to the bar to buy the soda pop and, like, he's, oh, yeah. he just takes everything and, like, is quiet and then walks away. But then eventually, you know, you get that scene where it's like, okay, this is the scene where I retaliate. And then from then on, it's like, oh, yeah, this is who we thought you were. Well, what I what I what I just was going to mention too is I, I wanted to lead up to that moment, the barroom brawl, because mm-hmm. you get the iconic barroom brawl in these movies. It's it's something that's expected. Lemonade Joe has a barroom brawl just as a joke. It's not real, and <laughs> it's a song number, and just all of this crazy nonsense. But with Shane, he's not the impervious Superman, great cowboy with the hat and the guns mm. when he gets into that barroom brawl it's sloppy it's messy it's raw he's outnumbered he's getting his ass handed to him he's handing out you know good justice to them as well but mm. there comes a point where the fucking old man Riker's just slapping him and beating them to mm. shit and if it wasn't for other elements to come in he would have lost and i really that's when the film really turned me around because I was surprised. One, this movie's in color. That should be mentioned as well. This is in yeah, color, yeah. in case people didn't know, because sometimes, you know, black and white uh, cowboy movies as well. But this is in color, and there's blood. There's blood, and there's bruises. Oh, yeah, and, there was blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when people get hit, there's there's repercussions. And this was one of the first movies I was, I really love this. Uh, the director wanted to, because of his experiences in war, wanted to have more of a realistic reaction to when people got hit and shot. So this is one of the first movies in which there were cables and wires on actors to pull them back, to yank them back. Mm -hmm. So when people got shot or when people got hit real good, they have that just massive force pulling them, which is now very common. But back in the day, it was just like, you rely on the actor to throw themselves or just fall over. And you feel it's very tactile. This film's very tactile, but that barroom brawl, it's not, it's not, heroic or sexy or romantic or it didn't get me it didn't get me my fist pumping it was more just wow this is just a mess it's yeah. just so messy it's a, it's a mix of both what we're saying like he is the strongest guy in the room but he is outnumbered and mm. there are realistic consequences to being outnumbered yeah yeah and uh that was great and i really love the scene as well where they're at the dinner table at the beginning when he's allowed inside of their house and they're laying out basically the the stakes of the movie it's like oh we're being terrorized by this i wish i was strong enough to do this and uh, this person's going to leave and uh, so on and so forth and oh if only we had someone but we had someone before and they roughed him up and he left town and oh if only there was someone strong enough and just Shane sitting there, just taking all of this in, nodding along, maybe chiming in with a word or two, and then he gets up and leaves. Mm. And they're like, oh, I guess he's left. And then he's trying to deal with the stump out front, and then he's got the axe, and he's just doing that. And what is really the, like, 
for for myself and I think for many people, the thing that makes Shane work the best is that performance, the central performance of Alan Ladd. When he does that very you know, bravado, macho man move, when he's doing that, it doesn't have any of that streak to it. It just feels like this is what Shane would do. There's no there's no show-offiness. There's no, yeah, I'm grandstanding. There's no masculine edge there. It's just, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to try and help you with this. There we are. There's even a scene where he has his shirt off and he's like rippling, you know, he's got rippling muscles and he's sweaty, but it just feels like, yeah, we're just working. There's no glory to me, the actor being the machismo cowboy here. It's just, we're doing the work. Yeah. And that that also backs up what our what the good guys in the film want. We just want to live here. We want to live our lives, have our homes and work on the farms. We that's all we want and we're being oppressed for it. Like again, that that great scene in the middle of the film where he's like, hey, you think we're in the wrong? This is all we want. What did you think of the performance of Shane, our titular character? Very charismatic. I really enjoyed seeing him. Um I like that, yeah, we don't get the full details of what his background was um you only get you know what you're shown you get shown that uh, he's a reasonable person he's prone to conversation he is a people person to those that treat him with respect um and he can get things done when when things need to get done he he's a he's a fun hero to have for this kind of story he has just such a sad face mm. That's what I just kept coming back to, these gorgeous eyes, this blonde hair, but there's just something about his face, it just droops down, and there's just a sadness there mm. when I he's just in the scene. Yeah, tired was what I focused on more, but yeah, there's sadness as well. I've got a great quote in relation to Alan Ladd, so... That runt? <laughs> that runt. Uh, yeah, do you want to mention that first? <laughs> so, uh, one thing we didn't mention about... Uh, Shane, I forgot the title for a second, um, was that this is a film adaptation of a book. And the author, um, later in his life, I think it was in like the 80s or 90s, uh, recollected on how he really didn't like Alan Ladd's casting in this film. And he referred to him as that runt. Because <laughs> he was five foot six. He was a short man. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a trivia point about uh, Alan Ladd's acting abilities. Because one of the things that is interesting now, if you know this era, Alan Ladd is an important name. He's one of those people that he matters. He was not someone that was well-respected or respected enough by critics, but audiences liked him. Okay. Critics didn't like him as much. And on the Dick Cavett show, Dick Cavett made a disparaging remark to uh, another person, uh, John Houseman, about how Ladd had minimal acting skills. And Houseman replied, you would be in despair. You would go down to set and you would say, why are we even making this film? Then you would go to the rushes and there would be these beautiful eyes full of hidden thoughts. He's a marvelous actor. That's the thing. Like Alan Ladd is very much of this era where he's a bit ahead of the curve of just those minimal actors, like minimalist actors, those naturalistic actors where they're really playing it low. It's in those eyes. It's in those little facial expressions, some stuff that we would obviously see more with uh, celebrated with people like Marlon Brando and even James Dean and, and on and on and on it goes. But here he is where he doesn't really require much to do. And yet the camera just loves him. I was like, the camera loves this guy, but he's not 
he's not trying. He's not trying to be the center of attention. Yet I couldn't help but keep looking at him because, again, he looks so different from everyone else. He stands mm. out. He's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy with just this look of tiredness and, and sadness and melancholy on his face. He's got this different outfit. And I just kept looking at him being like, I want to know more about who Shane is. And that's a part of yeah, the draw. Even, even when he buys clothes from their community, he still kind of stands out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. He stands out because he's like buying the clothes no one really buys. <laughs> he's like uh, David Byrne in uh, True Stories. Yeah, that's He's trying to it. come across as a Texan. And he buys, <laughs> he's like, big hat, nice hat. But uh, yes, this film... It has a lot going on. So uh, where do you want to go from here? What do you want to uh, talk about? What are elements of this scenes, moments, ideas that you want to discuss? Um, I mean, this is a big element of the film, but a returning actor that we've talked about from <clears throat> previous episodes, Jack Palance, is in this. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he plays a character named Jack Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was reading up on the film afterwards, like everyone was, you know, gushing and raving about how this was one of the best villain performances ever, great performance, things like that. Um, and I blushed a little bit because I wasn't really focusing on him too much throughout the film. The film doesn't. Yeah, the film doesn't. That's why I, because the film is so slow paced, I was, I wasn't, I didn't have a track in my head of like how far we are into the film. Um, so I figured, like, oh, well, this character's important, so he'll he'll factor into many, many more scenes. But really, he's only got, like, three or four scenes in the film, I think. Yeah, he mainly is in the background of scenes, just chilling mm. out, and then his big moments, they are big. He He's the one that kills people in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after I finished watching the film and I was reading up about everyone, talk, you know, raving about the Jack Wilson character, um, I actually did go onto YouTube and, like, rewatch some of his scenes, and... Obviously, I remember the one where he kills Stonewall, mm -hmm. um, but I rewatched the one that we've been alluding to, that scene in the middle where you learn the motivations. And yeah, when I was first watching the film in full, I was focusing on like the conversation that was happening. Uh, while, while that conversation was happening, our main character and Jack Plants are like staring at each other. and They're having a conversation without words. Yeah, you, you've got this audio conversation that you're hearing with your ears and occasionally cutting to, and then you've just got this... Someone described it as, yeah, them sizing each other up for, like, the whole four minutes and, you know, focusing on that that second time through, that just elevated that scene even more. And when Jack Palance and Alan Ladd get into their final big shootout, the big grin on his face mm. when he's told that he's a Yankee, a Yankee liar, and he's just like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do this then. Prove it. And there's a backstory behind that too. They needed to coax him to do a bigger smile because he was being too mean. And uh, in one of these scenes where he's called a Yankee liar, he didn't do a menacing enough smile in there. They're like, we need to coax him. So they're like, hey, in this scene, call him like a a, a bastard Yankee liar, and that'll get him to go. And, and it did in one of in one of the two. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, what is important? Jack Palance is someone that matters to this podcast. We have had him in a cheesy Italian low-end movie called Mr. Scarface, and I knew who he was at that time. I'm like, mm. I know who this actor is. He's a big deal, but like in that film, he's nothing. He's an absolute waste of space. And then we did City Slickers. Wait, wasn't he also in... Um... Oh, and of course, Tango and Cash, that's it, where that's he's the it. bad guy. Yeah. He, and again, 
that movie was like, hey, look, it's it's legendary Hollywood actor, Jack Blunt, but they didn't do anything with him. He was trying. We said that. If you listen to our Tango and Cash episode, we're like, he as an actor is trying his best, but the film is not giving him anything yeah. to do. And wasn't even the trivia point that like he really wanted to have a scene with the heroes? He wanted to act with Stallone. He was yeah. like, I love Stallone. I'd love to act. And they didn't give him that. It's funny how, yeah, the first two things we do on him within the podcast that he's wasted. <laughs> and City Slickers, he won an Academy Award for, yeah. and we covered it on this podcast. But did you read the trivia when it came to this movie and City Slickers? Uh, was it about the horse riding? No. So Billy Crystal loves him in this movie and when oh, he wrote Curly did, Joe Did we talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking back about in it again. that episode. When he wrote for the character Curly Joe, he was like I'm thinking of Jack Wilson, that character be like if he continued and he became like an old school guy. Okay. And it's that's insane. Yeah, and that's Curly Joe and that's how they got Jack Palance and he won an Oscar. So in a weird way, this film long-term set him up for what would be his crowning glory of his career, even though this is one of them as well. Isn't that just fascinating stuff? And Mm. again, going to the credibility of this movie and how just long-lasting it is, and westerns were the genre within Hollywood. They were like, westerns were the film. They 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 dominated for a decade or two. Mm, the and, 40s and 50s, yeah. And here we are looking at how that can just cascade, keep going and going and going, where decades later, because of just how much of a grasp that genre had, it helped an actor revive their career, become relevant again, and even get one of the most prestigious awards in the industry. And it's because he played a bad guy that, as you said, you're watching it for the first time, you weren't really focusing on that character because he's he's not to be focused on too greatly. He's a real subtle element. He's basically the dark mirror version of Shane where they're both quiet, mm. they, both, they both do what they need to do when they need to do them, but the difference is he's still a gunslinger and he likes what he does. And I was noticing in that rewatch too that a lot of elements about him uh, related to the little lecture that he was giving Joey about like, oh, some gunslingers, you know, have two holsters and two guns and that's that's what Jack has. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> and they have their different things and they hold it like this and this and this and uh, uh, Jack Wilson wears gloves. That's a difference too. He likes to have, he always puts his gloves puts on. puts them on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's his thing. But uh, Shane, he's no longer that, and he no longer enjoys it. And it's and the whole film is the journey about how he has to pick up the the gun again and do the thing again. And he is very much resistant to it. He doesn't want to do it. While obviously his counterpart, who is Jack Wilson, he's already there and he loves doing what he does. And so that's how you have the perfect, you know, bizarro mirror uh, opposite version of your character. Because obviously the lead antagonist is an uh, is an old man. You can't mm. have him be the one that Shane faces yeah, he, off against. He spends most of his scenes, yeah, like kind of complaining about his situation. Because of him no longer being the young man changing the world who's now writing the rules and becoming the leader. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. And he's resentful of it, Riker. Uh, A thing that we have to obviously go over is the family. Mm -hmm. The family at the center of this all. And although the film is called Shane, it could also be called Joe because the father of this family is 
basically the lead actor of this movie. Like he goes through a lot. He has a, he dictates most of the scenes, most of his actions, his choices, his beliefs ride the story. Yeah, his friendship with the titular character is kind of, you know, the driving motivation of said titular character. I really like their relationship too and how although there are moments where Shane potentially is going to leave or he's going to do this and even toward the end they they get into a punch up and they fight each other out there is no hollywood bullshit moment of joe becoming disillusioned or horrified or annoyed at shane's restraint and shane's holding back of things because he respects him too much like that's the thing i really love is there's just such a mutual respect so when they have to fight each other at the end, and Shane has to play dirty. He has to play dirty to win. Yeah, he pistol whips him. He pistol whips him, and, and the kid's like, that's not honorable, I, I hate you. You don't feel good about it. It's not one of those cases of like, yay, Shane, you took out Joe so that he stopped him, like, so you stopped him from dying. There's just, there's mud on it because it's like they have such a camaraderie and that camaraderie isn't reinforced by just lines of dialogue. It's there. It's just them, again, being with one another, just leaning on each other, working with each other, just just hanging out. They have the town meeting scene where the, he's trying to, where Joe's trying to convince them to stand up to the Rikers. And again, he's also been a person who does this regularly and it goes nowhere. I love the neighbor's reaction of like, I'll only have one more, one more hand up in the sky pointing in the air. Like, I don't want any more of this where that's all we achieve is just holes in the air. And when Shane enters that conversation and then they're like, we don't need Shane. He's he's this weirdo we don't respect. And he's not manly enough because we heard about this incident at the bar. And Joe, I, I just really love how he handles that thing where he's not disappointed in Shane because it's like Shane's a he's a person. Shane to Joe and this family isn't just a handy resource. He's not just their their muscle to get with them to do what they want. He is someone that they admire. Mm. What did you think of uh, the relationship of the family uh, within the, themselves and with with Shane? I I really enjoyed the family in the film. Obviously, you've got the you know old golden age Hollywood thing of like oh you know the 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 man of the family is you know self assured and he knows like the the right thing to do by the film standards. Like you've got the argument he has with his wife at the end where it's like don't I mean anything to you? Why do you have to do this? Like no, but it's it's because it's because you mean so much to me. It's like you know that kind of uh masculinity things going on um i i really liked how the relationship between the family and uh i almost called him joe uh, shane um all three of them have different rapport with him because you know father son and wife where you've got the friendship between the the two grown men uh they work in the fields together um you've got the sort of mentorship big brotherly thing with the child and then you have the uh, the wife in the family who is sort of on the outside of this whole conflict because, you know, it's the men who are dealing with it. But Shane, you know, being the quiet and sensitive man that he is, um, does, you know, connect to her in some ways because he sees, you know, the faults behind uh, the approach that the, the, the father's trying to go with. And that Shane has gone with his entire life. Yeah, so even at that end scene where, you know, he's 
knocked down her husband and, you know, in a dishonorable way, there is obviously the element of like, oh no, my husband is injured, but also, you know, Shane has done this kind of for her mm-hmm. to, to make sure that her husband can live on. And like, while the kid is, you know, shouting, I hate you, Shane, she is, you know, completely calm and listening to Shane mm. um, and talking to him. And you can just really tell from that final scene they have together that, yeah, they've had this connection here that's been kind of invisible, I guess you could say. What uh, they were, The relationship between Shane and the wife was my favourite within the family. I, I really thought it was... Uh, the most uh, philosophical the film got because they have opposing opposing ideologies. Hmm. She does not agree with Shane. She still likes him and she still sees his value, but they do not see eye to eye. And she has a different worldview entirely to him. And by the end of the film, she's proven right. The way that she thinks things need to be is how it goes in the end. But there has to be bloodshed for that because what Shane's approach is. There is the terrific scene of him, Shane, having to teach the child how to use a gun. Mm. And it goes over like how to holster your gun and, and how people have different methods. And some people put in their pants, but you need it to be this height. And you you need to do this, 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 and this. And this is how you hold a gun and shoot a gun. And she comes out there and she's obviously distraught. She's a mother. She doesn't want her son to learn how to shoot guns. They've made that explicit because although he has a gun, they never give him rounds to shoot because that's not what she wants. She doesn't want her son to fall down this road, this lifestyle, this need. And Shane is providing that. So she is obviously distraught over all of these things. And then they have the conversation that's the the thesis of the movie in my eyes mm. which is he says that guns are perfectly fine they're just a tool like anything else it's about the man using the gun and she says that the world would be better without the guns that we don't need all of these hot shot shooters with the need for bloodlust we need to move on That includes yours, Shane. And by the end, all of the guns, all of the the guns are gone. Shane goes and kills all of them. And then he himself dies, like is implied to have died, but he himself is the last one and he needs to go for the world to be a better place because Shane has to fight Joe and has to save the soul of the kid to not become the guns themselves to not believe that they're just a tool like anything else and you can solve your problems and you can change the world and you can control the world by having that at your side. And it's not just a guns, but it's meaning violence. It's meaning that type of life. And that conversation, it's presented as just this thing that happens. But when you get to that final act, I, that kept racing through my mind the entire time and uh, about how Shane has to basically don the old outfit again. He has to become what he used to be, even though we never get a full extent of what he used to be. And it's both heroic and sad, like deeply tragic. Like Shane is a tragic character because he has to sacrifice himself to save the future. He has to basically 
give up on the idea that he could just settle down because he is a thing of the past that needs to be relinquished. Mm. Just like the Rikers. Yeah, he even tells Joey, like, oh, tell your mother that the final gun is going or something like that. Yeah. I love their relate, and I thought that the actress was really good. I thought that she gave a really solid performance, and she was just... I think everyone gives a really good performance in this movie. Heck, even the kid, because there's a performative nature to the kid as you were going through. Like, he cranks it up when he needs to because he's trying to get... Because he's a kid. He's a little manipulative bastard. Like, the kid isn't a nice, sweet, innocent little kid. He's a little turd. You've got that one scene where he just enters the kitchen and just starts yelling, bang, 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 and the mother is clearly, like, getting distraught over it. (laughs) Yeah, that that was one of those great things. And then... You, we've already circled around this, we've already touched it, but let's just rip the Band-Aid off and talk about it more. But that scene where Riker and the rest of the Rikers and all that come to their farm. Yeah, in like the middle of the night as they're coming mm-hmm. home. And it feels like, uh, this is an interesting thing. The director said that this was his war movie. That's what he said. Shane is his war film. He never did a proper war. This is his war film. I and, yeah, yeah. And I can see that because this is... And I also see this as his gangster movie because this feels like a, hey, we're coming to you late in the night to prove that we can hurt you. Yeah, it's like well, war- we're trying to make you an offer. War with this little gang, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the families meet up and there's, there's the discussion of why this is happening. It's not just we want the money or we want to throw our weight around because for the majority of the film, the antagonists, the Rikers, they don't have a very clear motivation for what they're doing. Yeah. It's not a case of like when we do my name, they, they call me Trinity or Lemonade Joe or other Westerns we've it's done. Because we're evil. Because we want evil. Because we're evil. We want control. We want money. We want the town, whatever. It's it's far more nebulous than that to begin with. And there was never any doubt in my mind that there was a specific purpose towards that. But what did you think about how, for a, a good stretch of the movie, the the rival family, like the people who are doing all of these things, it's just given to us as, as something that's going on that mm. aggravates people, but they withhold any bigger re- like any yeah, bigger you, points you only, behind it. You only really hear like what they are doing to the homesteaders and the homesteaders you know, having their meetings, getting fed up with it, uh, planning to head into town in a large group for safety. Um, you ne- you don't get the f- explanation right off the bat, so it does seem, you know, quite one-dimensional for the most part. But then in this scene, you know, uh, Joe and Riker himself, they have their back and forth where they have the conversation of, uh, you know, why why are you doing this? You know, what right do you have to do this? And then Riker explains, like, basically his own movie prequel backstory of, yeah. like, yeah, this this is what I went through, and this is he, he feels entitled to something because of his experiences in the past. And we have seen that over and over again in in stories, but also in real life that previous generations feel angered and annoyed and entitled to have things a certain way because they set the precedent. Mm. And now these younger people, these families, these people who are now going to take the the land, in this case, from them. But the land is, again, it's a it's a metaphor. It, it, it means something else. It's not just the, the physical location, but it, it is the precedent of it. And 
there's obviously the the millennial jab about okay boomer like that's an mm. example of that but like we've seen this over and over again and this is uh, a really great discussion and i loved how it was told because when he was explaining it as you said like is this movie like movie like prequel backstory it's not like i i can say i i sympathized with him but i did feel like i felt yeah. something i was like there is a genuine emotion behind this is his character isn't just i'm evil man cool like here's my backstory and that means something like no there was something humanizing to it but when i say humanizing that doesn't mean good it just means that he became a fully rounded character at that point with a worldview. It's like a lot of a lot of villains that you would have in movies these days do tend to have like a detailed backstory like that where it's like, oh yeah, I wasn't born evil or anything like that. You know, I have gone through things. He's a, he's a misfit. Mm. He's he's just he's a misfit even though he's the establishment. He because the way he he goes about it is he just does terror tactics. He cuts their fences. He lets their animals out. He burns down their things. He's, he gets the bulls he, to like stampede over their farmland. He's yeah. just a piece of like he he's a worm. Like he's not even strong enough himself physically to get into a fight. He has to wait for people to be beat down. This, and then yeah. his younger like his younger member of his family, which again isn't that ironic. Like he has to rely on the younger ones to pick up the slack for him, even though his whole entire thing is resentment of the younger people if, yeah, picking up the slack. If this was like a typical like city gangster film like oh what a shame that all this has happened when it's clearly he engineered it yeah and i liked how in the conversation like to highlight the fact that this is like a future era or future era like modern era for the film um joe was bringing up quite progressive things like you weren't here first you know there were the native the natives were here Mm. first and he also made reference to the fact that we have a government (laughs) who are running the country it's just that we don't have any a government lo- you fought yeah. to put in. Yeah, it's, it's just that you know we don't have a law enforcement anywhere nearby. <laughs> yeah, it's a hypocrisy within all of this stuff, and I guess I'll bring it up now because I I, you know, I mentioned would we talk about it? But it made me think of stuff like Red Dead Redemption, where mm. although that's about a gang specifically Dutch in Red Dead Redemption, the first Red Dead Redemption, he's this half man empty shell figure because he's from a time that no longer exists but yet he fought uh blood sweat and tears as did his gang even though they were like a misanthropic evil bandit gang they fought for things to become what they are now they made themselves irrelevant Hmm. and that's what happened to Riker. is he made himself irrelevant he couldn't keep up with the things he was putting down and now here he is as this half man shell of a person and i was thinking about how that was done in in the red dead redemption games specifically yeah. the first one where uh, like john marston he's joe he's like a family man he's trying to put things down he's trying to you know get on with stuff obviously there's a bit of a difference but like it's still the same thing and then he is this figure of of yeah, what my, life used to be and how dare you try and change things yeah my go-tos are always red dead redemption and butch cassidy and the sundance kid where mm-hmm. obviously those two focus more on straight up outlaws but it's like yeah. you know the era is leaving you behind you know join the modern era now you know buy the bicycle buy the car don't go on the horse yeah you know this is the only life you know and this is gonna be your downfall and that even applies yeah to our hero shane in the movie like with say butch you know butch casting sundance kid they're they're, they are heroes and you enjoy seeing them and 
heck, even the ending, uh, even though that movie has a specific ending, there's there's almost like a, a catharsis, catharsis to it and a bit of fun to it, even mm. though it's still sad. Yeah. In Shane, it's not that. It's it's just straight up I liked, just a downer yeah. ending. But there's a there's a seed of hope because Shane's sacrifice actually means something. And also, more so than these two examples, he's very self-aware about, you know, what's happening. Yeah, that's something too about Shane that uh, the character... Although he still has, although he learns things in the movie, although he has his worldviews challenged, and then you know uh, he alters them, even though he reinforce, like he he uses them in a way to undermine them. He is a character that's very, very self-aware and confident, and con- like just just has it all together throughout most of the movie. And yet, I never found him to be dull because of that i they they, 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 again the the writing specifically as well as the combination with alan ladd's performance very understated in the journey of the character's change overall and i just really was uh, like uh, clapping at that i'm just like this is so well done it's just a very tightly made movie it's nearly two hours long it has a pacing that makes it feel over that and yet i personally never felt that this movie was a drag or too slow. There is a way of having a movie with a slower pace still be engaging. This isn't necessarily a film I would say is gripping. If you look at the poster, it has an iconic poster of of a, of a gun in the holster and the hand and all that, and it looks like it's going to be your, your typical shooty, gripping western, but no, this is just a very methodical film. It's a character film, and and to your point at the very beginning, there's just many scenes of celebration too. Mm. I loved the scene where they were celebrating Joe's uh, wedding anniversary and how it was on the same day as the 4th of July and yeah. how he tried to play it off as funny at first, but then he just dropped all of that all of that pretense, all of that uh, bravado and just was real. It was very sweet. Mm. Is there any other things you want to go over with Shane, the film? Any moments, ideas, things, characters? Um, I, I, I don't know if this is a big conversation topic, but I did find it kind of funny that um, one of the things that was meant to make... Uh, mm. I forgot his name for a second. Uh, Jack Wilson... Yes. Um, to make him a bit more slimy is that he was shitting on uh, iconic Confederates. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was very amazing. <laughs> and you know what? Good on him. That was so funny. Mm. How was it to see Jack Palance young and arguably at the the height of his career, basically at the the image of what when he was in City Slickers, people think of him. It's it's funny because I did know going in that he was in it, but because he comes in so far in, like, I forgot. And then it was only near the end that I'm like, oh, that's Jack Palance. <laughs> it's that jawline. He has yeah. a very specific jawline mm. and face, but I, I was happy to see him. I was happy to see him, but... Uh, were there any negatives? We've talked very positively about this movie, but were there any things that just didn't work for you or were there any just elements that you raised an eyebrow at, perhaps? Negatives? Um, Not especially. I guess, if anything, I, I 
struggled to tell some of the other homesteaders apart because they didn't have that much focus. But honestly, you know, that doesn't really bother me that much. What about, there was, was, was he German? There was that one with the specific well, he, accent. I could tell him apart, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. he was like Danish or something. Danish, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. European. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can understand that. Oh, you know, weird. I was trying to think of it because when I watched the movie yesterday, I was just sitting in my chair. I was jotting down some notes. And th- there were certain things I was making as notes of like, oh, is this negative? But then I just realized, no, those aren't negative notes. These are just notes about how times have changed. Like the music is obviously of its era. You have obviously rear screen projection backgrounds at time. You have matte paintings and, and you actually, uh, you, you do have real locations as well and, 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 and stage sets and, and so on. And uh, those aren't negatives. Those are just like, that's what it was. Like that's that's how movie 1953 production. And would I want that or fucking new modern stuff where it's a green screen background and actors aren't on the set at the same time. And and, that (laughs) stuff annoys me more because it reminds me it's not real, real while this it's like, yeah, okay, look when they had the wedding anniversary, yeah, I could tell it was a set that time rather than an outside location because the ground was supremely flat and just the dirt with a certain texture of it and so on and so forth. But it didn't matter because if you have an engaging story, good characters, good performance, and the direction is still there, then it doesn't matter. So I don't really have any negatives for this. Like I don't know how you can do this movie better than what it is and there's no point in trying like movies have taken from this because it did what it needed to do supremely well it's funny that it's from the same era as like the 50s b movies like teenagers from outer space yeah well there's always going to be that isn't there there's yeah. like it's like yeah the same year that schindler's list came out there's going to be some schlock movie <laughs> from from tromo that came out that's also mm. like surf nazis must die yeah it's it's that's the nature of period pieces. Just, yeah, yeah. But Shane, I hope everyone you give it a watch for yourself. I do recommend it. I still think it holds a great amount of power. There's just so much effort put into this. The music is great. The performances are sublime, and it, that tone. It's just that tone. There's just a there's a certain just bittersweet quality to all of this. You don't feel triumphant when you finish the movie, but it's not as if it's putting you in a in a in that place without a purpose. There's a purpose behind the movie's tone as well as as its messaging. Mm. As the film was ending and we had the um you know the final conversation between Joey and Shane, um I did start thinking like, oh is this the film where like the kid shouting at the person to come back is mm-hmm. from and that happened. I'm like, oh there we go. That that's it. Now the random references I've seen to that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, would you recommend Shane? Yeah, I'd recommend it. This is a very, very solid film. Now that we've covered a more uh, quote-unquote standard cowboy western, how do you feel? Because we've done so many other westerns as stated that uh, riffs on this or, or take on this or deconstruction of this type what do you feel about the just the real source? I mean, in a weird way, over the years, you've mentioned the quote of like, everything's a Western if you really break it down. And I remember the first time you mentioned that I didn't get it at all. And then over time, I've started slowly understanding a little bit more what you mean. Like 
big example for this one, I kept thinking of the big boss throughout this film. Um, I'm currently reading Fist of the North Star, and there's very obvious similarities between that and these types of westerns. Yes, big boss from the Metal Gear franchise, just just to... Um, that's what, oh, no, no, yeah. big boss from You Men Bruce Lee, right? Yeah, the big boss. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I actually did think of Metal Gear Solid 3. Okay, fair enough. At points that this too. I'm sure Metal Gear Solid has plenty of Western references. Revolver Ocelot. Ocelot. <laughs> Revolver Ocelot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or what do I feel that like we finally covered one? So because of that, it kind of just feels like, oh yeah, we've just covered another movie. But yeah, thinking back on the fact that we have covered, you know, non straight Westerns before, that is, yeah, a little bit amusing to me. But it, it doesn't feel. It, it doesn't feel too weird that, oh, we've finally done something this different. <laughs> Do you have, I guess, an appreciation or there's just something within about drinking from the well itself? Because every other thing is like, that's taking from the well and giving it to you. But this, this is like, we're going to the direct source this time there is, Yeah, I mean, there is a romantic element to co- covering something that this is genuinely of the time. Um, and I've only seen a couple of things from this time. Yeah, I've definitely seen The Searchers at one point, but I don't remember much about that one at all, to be honest. It was on mm. a flight. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'd be keen to check out some more, though. What we need to do is to take do the source that these movies take from, which is Japanese cinema. <laughs> <laughs> the Kurosawa movies and, and stuff like that. Oh, I, I do want to do Rashomon at some point. Rashomon. That one's a bit different. Obviously, you know, so on and so forth. There's so many. Let's do what uh, Star Wars is ripping off, you know, <laughs> just go through those. <laughs> but that is Shane. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And now it is time for the listening people's choice. That's right. You listening get to choose by recommending a movie and then we go through those recommendations and say it's this one and if you have recommendations for us but you haven't pitched them our way please do so email us over at uh, the email is spit and polished at gmail.com or you can hit us up on social media we will add them to the list and we need some more because we're running mm. low and at the moment we are going back to someone who has recommended stuff to us in the past Bartek it's a family member of yours Marchek oh yeah recommended The Last of the Mohicans mm-hmm. which I think will be an interesting film to talk about yeah, he recommended especially, yeah. uh, after doing this movie which even talked about some uh, specific issues uh, that might be relevant to that film so mm. we'll have to to see but yeah he recommended this a while back uh, he recommended it, the mission right yeah he recommended this the same time as the mission and he kind of tried backing out of recommending the mission but i'm like nap you done it so it's on the list this was the main one that he wanted to recommend in that message, though. Well, I hope Martek listens and enjoys what we have to say. I have, I think I've seen portions of this movie, but not all of it. I've heard it's it. one of those. I haven't seen it. I actually don't know what it's about. When I think of it, I think of there's a Mad TV sketch that references it. Oh, really? And it's got nothing to do with the source material. It's just a joke. Is it a Mad TV sketch with any particular person in it is it jim carrey era is it uh phil lamar's the one that mentions last of the mohicans in it it's it's like yeah it's like prisoners uh playing basically this game of uh what's the telephone or chinese whispers whatever you call it yes where one of them's trying to say to everyone like hey we're gonna break out of prison tonight but the message changes and the very final one is phil lamar telling someone 
we're going to get together and watch Last of the Mohicans or read Last of the Mohicans tonight. <laughs> well, we'll make sure to do that. So everyone, please make sure to check out Last of the Mohicans. I'm just making sure to get it up. 1992 film with everyone's favorite actor, Daniel Day-Lewis. Uh, there you are, Daniel Day-Lewis. And oh, it's a Michael Mann. I forgot it's Michael Mann movie. Michael Mann's a big director. So make sure to give that a view for yourself. And as stated, all of our stuff is in the description. So if you want to contact us or follow us, make sure to look there. And we're on all of the podcast hosting sites available. We're even on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. So if you want to drop us a review or a comment on whatever one's allowed, do so, and we'll very much appreciate it. But unless you have anything else to say, Bartek, I, I, I just want to let everyone know that they should be kind to each other, or they'll become the last gun, and they'll have to leave. And you know what happens to the last gun? It's the step before there are zero guns. The That's last, dark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was actually thinking the last gun is that, that, that gun you use in a Metal Gear Solid game when you're at the level before you get kidnapped and they and they put you in the interrogation room and they've stripped you of all of your weapons and you're mm. in, you're, you know, you're naked and you're having to run around. 